And welcome on in to the Zach Gelb Show, where else, but right here on CBS Sports Radio. Appreciate you making us a part of your Wednesday evening right here on the Zach Gelb Show. Whether you are listening on Sirius XM Channel 157 or 158, excuse me, one of our across uh, the country and one of our great affiliates, or on the free Odyssey app, which you should absolutely be downloading right now. Makes your life so easy. You listen to any show wherever you are, and with the 24-hour rewind function, you can listen to any show whenever you want. How about that? So make sure you download the free Odyssey app today. And if you're listening on the app, thank you. And we do welcome you again in uh, to the Zach Gelb Show right here on CBS Sports Radio with Ryan Hickey filling on in. All right. I do want to kick off this hour with a little college football talk as we are now just nine or 10, excuse me, 10 days away from the start of college football here in 2023. And now that we are so close to the season starting, I do want to talk about the season in this uh, in this context. I think going into any given year, going into most years, anyone can say, and most people do say, SEC, best conference in the country, right? You have Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Florida, Tennessee, Auburn, Ole Miss. Usually, one, two, or three of those teams are title contenders going into the year. And also, on top of that, you have really good depth up and down the conference where it's not a top-heavy one- or two-team conference. You have some tough teams at the top, tough teams in the middle. I'm not going to hype up Vanderbilt here, but you get my point at the bottom. But usually, depth and title contenders... Nine times out of ten, that's what you say most years, SEC, best conference of college football. Going into 2023, though, that ain't the case. The SEC is not the best conference in college football going into 2023. That honor goes to the Pac-12. The Pac-12, to me, is the best conference um, going into this season because they are the deepest. Let's start with one thing right off the bat here. One team does not make a conference. Georgia is the best team in college football. I'm not telling you they're not. I'm not sitting here telling you Georgia stinks. They're overrated. Georgia is by far the best team in college football entering this year without a doubt. But one team is not making an entire conference great. And you look at the SEC this year beyond Georgia. I like LSU. They are a title contender as well. Outside of that, I don't see a lot of big-time threats here. I don't see a lot of elite schools even pretty good schools throughout this conference. I got questions about Tennessee. I have doubts about Alabama. I have intrigue with schools like Auburn, but I don't think Florida is going to be very good. I don't think South Carolina is having this big, explosive year after a solid finish uh, to their season last year. But you look at the Pac-12, sure, they have no team right now on paper better than Georgia. But their depth is, to me, why the Pac-12 is the best conference going into this season. They have five teams in the top 20 uh, in the preseason AP poll. Five teams in the top 20, most of any conference. They are not top-heavy. You look at the Big Ten, you have three schools in the top seven with Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. The issue after that is you really got no one else. There's some optimism with Wisconsin. There's some intrigue a little bit with Iowa. But outside of those three big dogs at the top of the Big Ten, 
there's a whole not really a lot to get excited about or look at in terms of the depth of the Big Ten. You look at the Pac-12 with USC, Washington, Oregon, Utah, Oregon State. I could easily sit here and argue, bare minimum, four of those teams are college football playoff contenders. Not to win a national title, but to be one of the four teams remaining at the end. We're looking at the SEC. I see two. Georgia and LSU. Big Ten, I see three. The schools I just mentioned before. Depth is important here. That's a big reason why the SEC always got so much well-deserved and rightly so praised. Because it wasn't just Alabama winning six national titles under Nick Saban. It was the fact that LSU was always really good. And Georgia was always a test. And Florida was always a tough team. And Auburn was always knocking on the door and being pesky. And you'd have four, five, six, seven schools from the SEC in the top 25. This year, that ain't the case. That ain't the case. And even though Georgia's the best team in the country, again, to me, only having one legitimate team or even two with LSU is not enough to call you the best conference in college football. I love the depth of the Pac-12. I think having five legitimate college football playoff contenders is more impressive to me than having one or two national title contenders like the SEC and the Big Ten have. Look, you look to what is coming back from the Pac-12. These teams are legit. They're not overhyped. They're not getting puffed up. They have a lot of players and stars on their teams that have already accomplished a lot. You look at USC, sixth in the preseason poll. They have Caleb Williams, best quarterback in the country, reigning Heisman Trophy winner, and a guy that's already getting comparisons to be the next Patrick Mahomes. The Pac-12 has the best quarterback by far in the country in their conference. But the other three or four quarterbacks are no slouches either. Bo Nix had a really successful year number one at Oregon. 43 total touchdowns, seven interceptions. Michael Penix Jr. at Washington, second in terms of passing yards in all of the country last year. 4,641, 31 touchdowns, six picks. Cam Rising is a really Really solid quarterback for Utah. They won the conference last year. And Oregon State's intriguing. Quarterback-wise, they have DJ Uwe Ungale from from Clemson transferring over there. They also have a really talented young freshman as well that maybe even might beat DJ out. A bare minimum, we were talking about four established, experienced, successful college quarterbacks who played really well last year all coming back. And that's what I love about the Pac-12 this year specifically. They have a lot of guys that have proven it and are running it back. Yeah, USC lost Jordan Addison uh, in the draft, and Travis Dye is no longer there. But they have still a lot of weapons on offense. And again, you have Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, one of the best head coach, maybe the best head coach quarterback combo in all college football. Had a lot of success last year, running it back this year. And year number one, by the way, after transferring both from Oklahoma, I guess really Lincoln Riley doesn't transfer, but you get my point. Um, Washington last year under brand-new head coach Kalen DeBoer, let the world on fire, finished in the top 10 last year, had some impressive wins, including over Oregon on the road. And again, you bring a guy back in, Michael Penix Jr., that played really well as a really talented quarterback. When he stays healthy, you bring back all his receivers as well. This is a legitimately talented Huskies team that's absolutely going to be a big-time threat to make the college football playoff. Oregon, the same thing. Dan Lanning coming over from Georgia had a really uh, really successful 
year number one with the Ducks. And again, Bo Nix looked comfortable for the first time really in his career in college. It wasn't kind of scrambling. It wasn't kind of being Bo Nix, basically who was just living life on, on the edge the entire three years he was at Auburn. He was calm in control. And again, you see 43 total touchdowns, uh, some impressive wins for the Ducks as well. This is a guy that now going into the second year with Oregon after a very successful year number one, I think is poised for some really, really successful um, games here. I think he's going to be another guy that, again, is knocking on the door of the college football playoff. And again, Utah, maybe the team no one's talking about, the most underrated team in all the country, all they do is win the Pac-12, all they do is upset you know big-time teams, and all they do is just have no one talk about them. Cam Rising's been there for forever. Torres ACL hopefully will be ready to go for the start of the season. But again, that's another team with a lot of experience. They know who they are. Kyle Whittingham's a really damn good coach. So you have four legitimate teams right off the bat here that can make the college football playoff. If you have four college football playoff contenders that are legitimate and five total teams in the top 20, how is the Pac-12 not the best conference right now going into the year? Like, seriously, if you're an SEC homer right now or an SEC fan, take off the SEC hat for a second. You have Georgia. You got LSU. You're really buying into Bama this year with their mess of a quarterback situation where last year they had no receiver play consistently whatsoever, and now when you lose Bryce Young, the number one overall pick in the draft, and you don't add any sort of talent at receiver, you expect this offense to be just as good, if not better. When you lose a superstar talent, like Young, you lose Jameer Gibbs, who was by far his biggest weapon last year. And you don't replace him with anyone that's any good. How are you buying into Alabama this year? Florida's going to stink. Tennessee, I like Tennessee. They're intriguing to me, but I don't trust Joe Milton to play anywhere nearly as well as Hendon Hooker did last year. You lose also some big-time receivers in the draft. I know they had a lot of depth of receiver, but still. Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman, two damn good receivers now, not coming back. I'm a little out on Tennessee. Like, the depth for the SEC, objectively, is not there this year. We talk about the Big Ten. Again, three teams in the top seven. And I think Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State, all legitimate, bare minimum, college football playoff contenders. But it's not the four or five we're talking about like the Pac-12 has. The drop-off, I think, is pretty steep between, let's say, if you want to rank Penn State third out of those top three, between Penn State and everyone else, Penn State and Wisconsin, Penn State and Iowa, Penn State and Maryland, who's getting some love now going into this season, the gap is wide. The gap is the Atlantic Ocean. You don't have that gap in the Pac-12. And you have four. So I'll even give, I won't even give our Oregon State the benefit of the doubt to start. But you have bare minimum four teams Legitimately, that could be one of the four standing here at the end of the year. No conference can boast that. So we'll see how it plays out at the end of the year. But to me, it's not an argument. Going into the season, on paper, as we get set for the 2023 season to kick off here in 10 days from now, I think it's indisputable. Pac-12 is by far the best conference going into this season. If you disagree, if you think I'm being delusional, I'm not even a Pac-12 fan, I'm a Penn State fan, so if anything, I love the Big Ten, so I'm not even being a homer here, but if you think I'm wrong, 
and it's the SEC or it's the Big Ten that is by far the best conference going into this season. Tell me why. 855-212-4227. You can tweet me at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. Marcus wasted no time from Alabama. I wonder what side he is on. What's up, Marcus? Uh, hey, I'm an SEC homer, and I'm not articulate as you, but the SEC, I think Bama's quarterback situation is going to even out. I think they're going to be positioned in the running game and have a decent quarterback. Auburn, I think Auburn's going to be better than people expected. And as far as the conference goes, top to bottom, I don't think the Pac-12 is better than the SEC. I'll go with the SEC. But, like, Marcus, I, I'm assuming you're an Alabama fan? No, I'm a War Eagle fan, actually. Interesting. All right. So, let me, from a, a non-Alabama fan perspective, I'm curious, because I don't think that Alabama's quarterback situation is settled whatsoever and, and, and encouraging whatsoever. Where's the optimism, if you want to call it that, coming out of, you know, coming into the season with what they got a quarterback with either Jalen Milrow, who played one game against Texas A&M, did not look very good, and after the spring game, don't think it's a good time whatsoever that they had to go back to the portal and get – Tyler Buckner, who did not play well at all in Notre Dame, now coming down after spring ball, which should indicate, oh, they did not like what they saw from their quarterbacks then and brought a, a guy who's not even going to start in Notre Dame in. Where's your optimism with the quarterback situation for Alabama? Well, some years ago they had a guy named Coker that came from, uh, I think, Florida State or something, and he was efficient enough to lead them to a national championship. I think with the other talent surrounding the team, they can uh, – that quarterback doesn't have to be a playmaker. He can just, you know, be there to manage the team, like a Trent Dilfer type, and I think they'll be in the playoffs. I uh, appreciate the call, Marcus. This is where I disagree is, yes, when Jake Coker was there and won a national title, you are right. For a while with Nick Saban, whether it was Greg McElroy, John Parker Wilson, and like you mentioned before, uh, the latest one in terms of um, Jake Coker, Alabama had a loaded offensive line a great running back room, and elite defense. Like, they had every other position outside of quarterback settled to where you didn't need your quarterback to making, you know, to be a playmaker. There's a reason why Nick Saban went away from that philosophy. Nick Saban went away from that philosophy because he realized we can't win many games now if our quarterback is not a dynamic playmaker. And that's why he started going after guys like Jalen Hurts, Tua Tungavailoa, Bryce Young. Because he realized, if I'm going to win, I have to adapt to be more of a spread um, a spread style offense and have my quarterback and now have my receivers be legitimate weapons. And now when you look at Alabama this year, yes, they went with Jay Coker 2015, but now you look at this year specifically, they don't have any receivers that could take the pressure off the quarterback. They don't have any tight ends, running backs, or even offensive line that we are used to seeing at Alabama the last 15 years. We saw last year Bryce Young basically carry that offense on his back along with Jameer Gibbs because the receivers at best were inconsistent. The offensive line was spotty. And the run game, again, was not that great. And so now, when you have the number one quarterback in the country and the future number one overall pick in the draft, you can do what Alabama did last year, win 11 games, and the two games they lose to Tennessee and LSU, be right there and knock on the door. You can absolutely do that when you have a generational talent at quarterback. But now when you're relying on Tyler Buckner, who has for his career in Notre Dame, has six touchdowns to eight interceptions. When you're relying on a guy in Jalen Milrow, who whether it's halfway through the Arkansas game or the entire Texas A&M game or even throughout the duration of the spring, 
did not separate himself, did not impress Nick Saban and co. whatsoever. They had to go into the portal to get another quarterback. You can't expect those guys to be game managers and this team to, you know, win 11, 12, 13 games. To be a threat to win the college football or to win the SEC West and be a threat to make the college football playoff or win a national title. This is not the year for that. This is absolutely not the year. This is a different Alabama team than we have seen under Nick Saban the last 15 years. I'm telling you right now, if you don't see it, start looking. It is staring you right at the face. Offense line is weaker. Receiver is weaker. Quarterback is weaker. Defense is weaker. I look at the Pac-12. I think USC, Oregon, Utah, Washington. Four teams, all better than Alabama. Yeah, to, to the SEC's credit, again, I think Georgia and LSU... Georgia especially is better than any team in the Pac-12. I would argue USC, I'd put Washington up in the same level as LSU. The next three or four teams are all Pac-12 teams if we're going Pac-12 versus SEC. The depth out west is way better. Even though I don't think any of the teams at the top in the Pac-12 are better than Georgia, one team does not make a conference. Georgia being the best team in the country alone does not mean the SEC is by far the best conference in the country. You need multiple teams, and you need depth. And for me, Pac-12 has that this year. So I'd love to hear your thoughts again. If you think I'm wrong, if you think the SEC, the Big Ten, better conferences right now than the Pac-12, tell me why. 855-212-4227. 855-212-4227. At Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. When we return, yesterday, I had tremendous CBS Sports college football reporter Barrett Slee on the show. I asked him that question. Who's the deepest conference in the country? I'll have you hear Barrett's answer when we do return. It's Ryan Hickey in for Zach Gelb on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to the Zach Gelb Show. Ryan Hickey in for Zach Gelb right here on CBS Sports Radio. Happy Wednesday. Appreciate you making us a part of your evening slash afternoon right here on CBS Sports Radio. If you miss any part of the show, don't worry. We got you covered. Hick at Night Podcast is where you can find every hour of this show. I was in for Zach the last two days, every hour of those last two shows as well. And every hour of the show I host each and every Saturday morning, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. Eastern right here on CBS Sports Radio. Hick at Night Podcast, night spelled N-I-T-E. All right, 10 days away, college football getting set here to, to kick off very shortly. And so when we look ahead towards this season, we got to, I think, acknowledge One reality, the Pac-12 is the best conference going into this season. The SEC has had a long grip on that claim. But at least for one year, I guarantee you this, the Pac-12 next year will not be the best conference in college football. I can guarantee you that. But this year they are. They have five teams in the top 18. They have four of the best quarterbacks in the country in Caleb Williams, Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, Cam Rising. Oregon State has some young, unproven talent as well, a quarterback and a really deep team as well. These teams are legit. And even though the SEC has Georgia and LSU, one or two teams don't make a conference great. You need depth. That's exactly what the Pac-12 has. So, I have that opinion. But yesterday on the show, in case you missed it, Barrett Salee, love, love Barrett's takes and his thoughts on college football. Make sure you check him out at Barrett Salee on Twitter. 
Barrettsley joined the show and asked him about which team is the, or which conference, excuse me, is the deepest in college football entering 2023. I said, is the Pac-12? Here's his answer. You could make an argument, yes. And I think by the end of the season, that argument could be very, very accurate. It's, it, the offenses are just filthy. I mean, they are so good. You know, in terms of conference, uh, you know, in the middle of the eight, uh, of the Pac-12, let's just say it's, I don't know, Oregon State or uh, Arizona with Jaden Delora or just pick a team, right? Their, their quarterback play is going to be next level. I mean, it's just that deep. I mean, you're talking about seven, eight teams that are um, are capable of putting up 40 at, at any given time. So if, if that's going to play in the Pac-12, would it play in the SEC? Yeah, the middle-of-tier SEC team would probably struggle against some of those quarterbacks out west. So uh, deepest, yes, uh, I think that's completely fair. He went on to say, because I had to cut off a little bit time-wise, but he did mention that he still thinks the SEC is the best conference, but said the, the Pac-12 is the deepest conference. Again, for me, when you look at the SEC this year so far, Georgia, legit national title, and obviously college football playoff contender. LSU, same boat. Other than that, I got nothing. I got nothing. Alabama's dropped off. Tennessee, I don't see it this year. Auburn, I'm intrigued, don't get me wrong, but I don't think they'll be anywhere near college football playoff contention. You have, again, Caleb Williams, Michael Penix Jr., second in terms of passing yards last year. Bo Nix combining for 43 touchdowns last year. And Cam Rising, who all he does is win and produce at a high level. All four of those guys not only have proven it before, are now all returning. There's a lot of experience. There's a lot of winning those four teams have done already, and you add Oregon State in there as well. Again, five teams in the top 18 going into the preseason. You can't claim to be the best conference in college football by having one great team and, like, 12 okay, decent teams. That's not how it works. Sure, no team in the Pac-12 is better than Georgia. One or two are on par with LSU. But a lot a lot of teams are better than anything else right now the SEC has to offer. So if you think the SEC, to, in your mind, is the best conference going forward here into college football in 2023, if you are a Big Ten backer, think they are the best conference right now in college football with three teams in the top seven, tell me why. 855-212-4227. 855-212-4227. At Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. Cole Thompson just tweeted at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. Spot on, but I mentioned Oregon State as my dark horse as well. I'm trying to be nice here in the sense that I'm trying to make a fair argument, not be too much of a Pac-12 homer. Again, even though I'm not even a Pac-12 fan on the like per se, but not even if we just take Oregon State out of it for a second, because they're a team that was fun and interesting last year. Their quarterback situation is intriguing. Where again, I I'm not really sold on DJ Uyi Ungale coming in and all of a sudden now looking like a rejuvenated, reborn quarterback. They got some talent there as well that still I think it has to prove it a little bit. Oregon State has a lot of talent everywhere else, though. But even if we just take the Beavers out of it for a second, Utah, Oregon, Washington, USC. Four teams that legitimately could compete for a college football playoff spot, which is more than the Big Ten could say, more than the SEC could say. If you want to get crazier, ACC, Big 12, them two, group of five, you name it. There's no team, or there's no conference with more teams that are ready and capable 
of competing for a college football playoff spot more than the Pac-12 this year. And that, for me, is why they are the best conference in this country going into the 2023 season. And it's almost laughable or comical at this point that, of course, in their last year of existence, as you set for the, you know, get set for the departures of Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, of course, that as all those teams get set to depart, the last year of their existence, they are, you know, arguably maybe the best and the deepest this conference ever, uh, has ever been. So Pac-12. So, so, so Pac-12. They always love to... Always love to beat themselves. Always love to, anytime there's some good momentum, ruin it. They got a lot of momentum going into this season. I think they should get a lot of respect going into this year. I'm trying to give it to them. I'm trying to convince you, if you don't respect them, to take them seriously this year. And, of course, as soon as you start to do that, it's, well, all the good vibes, all that good momentum they have, all gone. See you later. Big 12, you're welcome. Pac- uh, Big 10, you're welcome. And now the Pac-4, which at this point, if you're Cal, Washington, Oregon State, and Washington State, go to the Mountain West. Don't go to the ACC. Help yourself. Just stay local because there's really nothing else you could do and really no other option for you to get some more TV revenue, which is why this is all kind of happening in the first place here. Nate is calling from Ohio at the best conference in college football. What's up, Nate? No, actually, you got it wrong. I'm from Iowa, but not Ohio. Oh, but my bad. Uh, Iowa, the land of offense over there. What's up, Nate? <clears throat> oh, yes, the land of offense. Yeah, you know, as I was saying before, I got out of the Big Ten and out of Iowa a long time ago for football. I'm actually a Gators fan living in Iowa. But um, anyways, uh, when we talked, you know, you ask about, you know, what is the best conference in college football? By far, I still think it is the SEC. I mean, when you when you look at the overall top to bottom, Georgia is the top dog in the land. Alabama is not too far behind. You mentioned LSU. Those are the three big teams in that conference. You look at the Pac-12, and to your point, you got Caleb Williams, Cam Rising, Michael Penix. You know, everybody. You know, I got a lot of good quarterbacks out there, but you know, the Pac-12, nobody really knows much about them because nobody watched a lot of Pac-12 football. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this year goes, but you know, like I say, I think I'm as I was first time caller tonight. It's like, as I heard you chatting on the radio, but I really do think, like I say, you know, Georgia's just a complete football team. They're going to be hard to beat this year. And it wouldn't, doesn't matter who, who's playing quarterback. They're going to be a tough team to beat. And, um, yeah, you know, then you got to think about Drake may too. him and Caleb Williams right now are the two best quarterbacks in the draft next year. And then uh, Quinn Ewers down in Texas, too. So it should make for uh, interesting. Uh, I'm sorry for the other guy you mentioned, too, is Bo Nix. You know, but, hey, yeah. thank you for taking my call tonight. I appreciate no, it. No problem, Nate. And, again, someone who lives in Iowa, hopefully, you know, as a Gators fan, at least you've seen some better offense than what you got from the Hawkeyes the last few years. But it's, like, one of those things where, again, I don't get why Alabama's getting the benefit of the doubt. I get it, it's Alabama. But if, like, this is what I guess I'm trying to, trying to do here, and I should have articulated this earlier in the segment. We can easily, anyone can easily say, oh, the SEC is the best conference. If you actually look at it, if we just get off the lazy narratives and actually just look at things objectively from year to year, things are allowed to change. The SEC is, each and every year, most likely going to be the best conference in college football, yes. This year, though, it's not the case, and it's okay to admit it. It's not a slide against the conference. Things ebb and flow. You look at Alabama, they are going to be down this season. You look at Florida, they are going to be down this season. USC, 
Utah, Washington, Oregon, Oregon State up this season. It's okay to admit it. It's okay to admit it. And again, one team, to me, does not make an entire conference. Georgia is, yes, the best team in the country without a doubt. But if two, three, four, five, six, seven are in the Pac-12, how's that still make the SEC a better conference? You can have the best team in the country, but there's really no one else at their level, and there's not a lot of teams otherwise that are going to be competitive. One team is not carrying the rest of the country. And frankly, you know what? I'll make this a little personal here. I try and I try to leave emotions out of it, but I'm going to get personal here for a second. This is one thing that does bother me with the SEC culture overall. There's too many schools on the bottom that root for the SEC, that chant SEC, that walk around that badge, that take other teams' success and kind of use it for their own. Too many times there's South Carolina fans, there's Vanderbilt fans, there's Arkansas fans. There are teams, uh, fans of teams, that have not accomplished anything in the SEC. But they see Alabama truck Michigan and say, oh, look at our conference, look how great we are. Look at Georgia winning two straight national titles. Georgia being great. Alabama being great. LSU being great. Does that mean you are great? Does that mean you are any better than a 7-16? and That is something that I have never seen in any other conference outside of the SEC, and it drives me crazy. As a Penn State fan, as a Penn State alum, I don't root for Ohio State to win. I don't root for Michigan to win. That doesn't make me and Penn State look any better if Michigan wins a national title this year and goes 15-0. If Michigan smokes Penn State this year 45-0, and they smoke Georgia, they smoke whoever else is in front of them, Ohio State, am I going to feel any better about Penn State's future when the team that that just won the national title, they weren't even in the same zip code with? No. But it happens all the time, and it's so frustrating that now you see everyone championing in the SEC, the SEC flag and SEC pride, and oh, I'm going to root for Bama because that makes my school look good. No, it does not. So if you also put that to the side and realize that Georgia being dominant does not help your program. Georgia being dominant helps nobody else but their own school. And you realize, you know what, let's be objective here. Georgia being the best school does not mean the SEC this year specifically is the best conference. I do feel a little bit better. I will say that was cathartic. That that felt good. That's been on my chest for a while. It's very frustrating. It happens all the time. It's sickening to watch. I don't understand it. And it did feel good to kind of let it loose. Okay. When we do return here on the Zach Gelb Show with Ryan Nicky filling in, let's do a little NFL. I think no matter what happens, blank hits the fan. Three teams in the NFL this year are locks, absolute locks, to make the playoffs. I'll tell you who they are and why when we do return again. Ryan Nicky in for Zach right here. With you on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to the Zach Gelb Show. Ryan Hickey in for Zach right here on this Wednesday. Some breaking news you just heard in Marco Belletti's update. Colts running back Jonathan Taylor is away from the team again. Now, last week, he was away from the team, according to their head coach, Shane Steichen, in order to rehab. No specifics given, but he had an ankle injury last year, had surgery on it in January, it was supposed to be a one-month recovery period. Here we are eight months later, still nothing, or, or I should say something, is still allegedly wrong and going on where Jonathan Taylor is not able to practice. He's currently right now on the pup list. So last week he left the team after being there to start training camp on the pup list, but he was there at least at practice in a T-shirt. Left last week to go rehab. 
returned to the Colts some point over the weekend and or Monday, and now, according to Adam Schefter and other reporters, has left the Colts again as they start joint practices with the um, with the Bears tonight because of a personal matter. Don't know what the personal matter is. I hope everything is okay for Jonathan Taylor. Is an excused absence, so the Colts obviously know about it and at least are signing off on him leaving. So obviously, again, you hope it's nothing, nothing serious. You have ESPN's Stephen Holder covers the Colts saying that his absence a second time is not contract-related. But here's what I think is going to happen. I think at the end of the day, Jonathan Taylor is going to be on the Colts. I think he's going to play week number one. I don't feel great about that prediction of him being on the field when they take on the Jaguars week one on September 10th. But I feel 99% confident he is going to play for the Colts this season. He is not going to be traded, and he's not going to hold out. He will play for the Colts. Because unfortunate for him and unfortunate for running backs, this is the reality, he has no other option. The Colts would be foolish to trade him because I don't think you're getting much back for a guy, especially now if he's still dealing with an ankle injury. No team is trading for a running back in general, let alone a running back that still has some sort of nagging ankle injury. That's for sure off the table. And he's not going to hold out because it does him no good. Holding out only is going to take money out of his pockets and is not going to get him the contract he wants. It's only, if anything, going to hurt his leverage, whether it's with a franchise tag next year, or if the Colts just say, screw it, we'll let you go, and he signs somewhere else. Him holding out is not going to be a benefit to him getting more money in 2024 and beyond. So Jonathan Taylor will be a Colt this year, no doubt about it. He's not going to be traded. He's not going to hold out. If I was a Colts, if I was really, because this is a Jim Ursay decision, if I was Jim Ursay, I would give Jonathan Taylor a little bit of a bump. Two million, and contract-wise, right? Not, in, you know, other bumps, if you know what I mean. I would give him a little bit extra money. Two million dollars, three million dollars. The Colts have 20 million dollars in cap space this year. Jonathan Taylor is clearly disgruntled. He's making, I think, 4.3 million dollars going into the final year of his rookie deal. Do what the Giants did. Giants gave Saquon a million dollars. He showed up to practice, and he has not, you know, said a word since about his frustration. And that was someone that, before he got that incentive-laden um, increase, was someone that was not afraid to voice his frustration and was someone who did, on the record, say, I am contemplating sitting out. I'm not afraid to sit out this year if I have to. Give Jonathan Taylor 2 or $3 million, put on a happy face, and get through 2023. See what happens this season. Revisit it at the end of the year, but at least have Jonathan Taylor going into the season with now Anthony Richardson being a starting quarterback. Have him be happy to be there. Have him be somewhat motivated and playing hard because that's only going to make Richardson's life easier and make life easier for the Colts and their offense. So that is the latest with the star running back of the Colts. A lot of drama this offseason. And now for the second time in the span of a week is away from the team this time According to reports, not only an excused absence, but also a personal matter he is dealing with. All right. So NFL season here is just under a month away. Obviously, we know, right? We think we know how a season's going to go. But in reality, each and every NFL season, tons of surprises, right? A lot of unexpected positives, also a lot of unexpected negatives as well. But I think no matter what happens from a negative perspective, three teams are locks 
to make the playoffs. Meaning, no matter what happens, quarterback injury, bad play, struggling units, no matter how bad it gets, I think there are three teams in the NFL where it's impossible for them to miss the playoffs. Chiefs, Eagles, 49ers. That's it. Three teams that, if hell does come over their franchise, I think bare minimum, they'll still be playing out a wild card weekend. If you look at the Chiefs, right, even if the worst case scenario happens, hopefully it doesn't, but if it does, and Patrick Holmes gets hurt, I'll be honest, from what I've seen from Andy Reid, I trust him to take a guy in Blaine Gabbert and put him in a position to win games. I know it's been on a smaller sample size, but Andy Reid has been able to show that not once but twice with Chad Henney in the playoffs. Remember last year? And if you watch Quarterback on Netflix, great show if you haven't, highly recommend it. But if you, you watch that show, you know what I'm talking about. If you watch the playoff game against the Jaguars, you also know what I'm talking about. When Mahomes hurt his ankle, and he was fighting to stay in, and Andy Reid said, hey, go to the locker room, get an x-ray. we got to make sure it's not broken first before I put you out on the field. Chad Henney, before halftime, took over that team on his own two-yard line in the playoffs, led a 98-yard touchdown drive to score a touchdown for Kansas City right before the half. Going back to 2020, and their playoff game against the Browns, Patrick Holmes gets knocked out with a concussion. And on fourth and one, in their own territory, leading, I think it was by 4, 21-17, something like that. Fourth and one, minute to go, at home in your own territory. They go for it with Chad Henney, the backup quarterback, get the first down, throwing the ball, and win the game. Andy Reid is not afraid to trust his backup quarterback, and he's had a lot of success in high-leverage situations with that guy. So I'll be honest, even if the best quarterback in the NFL is out, I still trust Andy Reid to get the most out of Blaine Gabbert to at least, at least bare minimum, have the Chiefs make the playoffs. The Eagles, they're a team that can win in multiple ways. They're a team that can win through the air. They're a team that can ground and pound you. They're a team that can win a defensive struggle. So because their roster is loaded, loaded everywhere, they can win games in multiple facets where, again, if you've got to have a game where the weather's kind of bogging you down and you need your defense to pitch a shutout, they can do so. You need Jalen Hurts to throw the ball 45 times in a game, they can do so. Because they're multifaceted, because they have so many different ways they can win, I don't see if, hell again, come hell or high water, this Eagles team is struggling, I don't see how they are going to be missing the playoffs. To me, they are too talented. And that's also the same case for the 49ers. 49ers are the only team that's quarterback-proof. And we saw it last year. They went through three quarterbacks and got to the NFC title game. If Brock Purdy gets hurt, I have no doubt Sam Darnold or Trey Lance would come in and play just as well. Lead the 49ers bare minimum to the, uh, to the, to the playoffs. This roster, I would argue, is the best roster in the NFL. They have talent everywhere. And so unless aliens, which I'll be honest, you see a lot more in the news, and I personally am starting to get freaked out about the aliens coming down and taking us away. Unless that happens in San Francisco, where the aliens come, have their spaceship hover the stadium, take like literally half the team off the field, and bring them to whatever planet they live on. Unless that happens... I don't see a way how the 49ers miss the playoffs. 
So when we're talking about locks, not like, oh, I think they have a good year and I can't see Patrick Holmes playing bad. Like We're talking about absolute worst-case scenario. Chiefs, Eagles, 49ers. Three teams, like bare minimum, no matter what happens this season, I cannot envision a situation and a scenario where they are not in the postseason. I think quickly here, Bills and Bengals, too light on their quarterbacks, where if Josh Allen or Joe Burrow gets hurt, I don't think they're good enough all around to absorb that loss. Cowboys, they got questions. Jets, to me, I have a lot of questions as well. Jaguars, easy division, but tricky still. Don't trust them if, if things go awry to be a lock to the playoffs. Three locks. Chiefs, Eagles, 49ers. When we return, 10 teams in the NFL have new quarterbacks. I'll give you my expectations for each for the season when we do return. It's Ryan Nicky in for ZG. In for ZG. Zach Gelb on CBS Sports Radio.